This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. Joining us today, Dan Box, National Crime Reporter for The Australian. Welcome, Dan. It's good to be here. Now, look, it's a really busy week for you, isn't it? You've got uh, your your new project, was it The the Queen and Zach Grieve? Yeah. That's sort of been released on the weekend. Um, and you've they're sort of dropping episodes every couple of days. Yeah, What's the, plan there? the way we've done it is uh, we released it on Saturday for subscribers only. So people who are fortunate enough to subscribe to the Australian can watch all six of the episodes. But for everybody else, uh, it's one episode is released a day for free. So outside the paywall, starting on Monday. So. Monday's episode one, Tuesday's episode two, Wednesday's episode three, all the way through till next Saturday. Yeah. And the Australians does this very well, I think, but they, they cover it all in the paper as well, don't they? Yeah. I guess you've you've got a few yarns that you've sort of been breaking to coincide with this. Yeah. In fact, that side of it is quite fun because we did all the work on the, the documentary, the, the six-part, if you like, television documentary, and then... I thought I had a plan for what the stories in the paper were going to be this week. And on day one, we tore the plan up and started again because things kept changing and things kept coming in, which is fun, but it's meant I've been busier than I planned. Because you're also promoting it, well, aren't I'm you? are out there promoting it, yeah. I think you've got a, you're doing a speaking thing for the Australian. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a speaking thing for the Walkleys and a speaking thing for the Australian tomorrow. I did seven radio interviews yesterday. I've got this and I'm doing Sky <laughs> News later today. I'm not complaining, wow. but I'm also trying to fit in actually reporting for the paper. And we've been running a couple of articles a day. So it's doable, but I'm basically at my limit now. Anything else comes in, and I'm going to either snap or cry. Well, well, I'm very <laughs> impressed that you've uh, you've stopped by here and, and put us on your schedule. No, no, I'm grateful for the interest. I really am. Yeah, there's so many things I want to ask you about. Let's maybe start with uh, the Queen and Zach Grieve. Okay. Um, you've got a knack for finding these sort of stories where there's there's been some injustice. Ah, uh, look, I can't claim to really have found this story in that. Um, this whole project came about because a guy from a TV production company, a guy called Ivan O'Mani from In Films, they made Hitting Home for the ABC last year. He approached us with the idea of doing this, and he actually approached us with the idea of doing this and looking at this particular story. So I can't claim any inju- any any sort of credit for that. And equally, nor can I claim any credit for... We did a podcast on the Bowerville murders yep. last year, and... The thing with both these stories is they've both been reported before. You know, at the time of, of the killings in both cases, local media did reporting. They've both been reported subsequently. Fairfax, um, John Saffron did a great magazine piece on this a couple of years ago. So it's not that we're breaking the story, but what we're doing in both is really, really going into it in depth, like really taking the time to do it as well as we possibly can. And with the podcast and when, with this video series where the emphasis is on letting the people involved tell the story in their own words rather than me as the reporter telling the story for them. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll get to Bowerville um, separately, but, but unlike Bowerville, this, this one is where somebody's been convicted. Yeah. Um, and it seems innocently, yeah? Yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated, this one. So what you've got in this one is you've got a young Aboriginal man jailed for life 
with a minimum of 20 years for a murder the judge found he did not physically commit. So he is found guilty by the jury, but that's because the laws in the Northern Territory are, are pretty fierce, if I'm honest. So Zach Grieve, the guy at the centre of this project, the guy at the centre of the documentary, certainly agreed to take part in the murder. He was one of three men who signed up to do it. But on the evidence at the court, although it's disputed, the judge found he pulled out of the murder at the last minute. So he physically wasn't there. He chickened out. But in the Northern Territory, if you agree to take part in a murder and you don't, even if you pull out, you don't try and stop it, you are guilty of murder. So the judge actually had to effectively direct the jury, you have to find this guy guilty. And then the judge said, I don't think you were there. And the judge said, I'd like to give you a shorter sentence, but I can't. The laws up there, they're called mandatory sentencing. They forced the judge to give Zach a 20-year minimum sentence. And this was the extraordinary bit. The judge said... I take no pleasure in this outcome. It's the fault of the minimum mandatory sentencing provisions which inevitably bring about injustice. So you had a judge saying his own decision was an injustice, and I've never seen that anywhere mm. before. Is there any... Um, I should say I've, I've seen the first um, couple of episodes okay. of this so yeah, far. Yeah. Is there any sort of way out of this? For Zach? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because real life's always more complicated than you'd like it to be as a reporter. You know, if I could really reduce real life to basically headlines, then my job would be a lot easier, <laughs> but it's always harder. Yeah. So actually understanding the law as regards to Zach, does he have a way out? Potentially, he could apply to the Northern Territory Administrator for what's called a mercy plea, which would get him out early. And the judge actually recommended that that be granted problem with that is it turns out when you dig into it, the administrator, which is equivalent of a state governor, doesn't have any power. The attorney general makes a decision. So it becomes a political decision. And releasing a, a convicted murder is a political football. So is that likely to happen? Does any politician want to be seen as soft on crime? I've spoken to Zach's lawyers about this, and they say, look, it's politics. That's, that's a mm. difficult one to happen. So, yeah, potentially he could. And I, for mine, I certainly know his family want him back. But will it happen? It's politics. Hmm. Tell me, the, the, the approach to this was different to Bower of All, mm. which is really just an audio one, mm. especially you've done as well as you, you've sort of written journalism mm. work. Was the decision to do um, video here because of the involvement of the film company? Yeah, so they came to us with the idea, and my initial response, I remember the meeting quite well, it was a cup of coffee in, in a cafe in central Sydney, they proposed the idea, and I said to them, that's never going to happen. And the reason I said it's never going to happen is because TV's so expensive. So Bowerville, the podcast, was basically made on a shoestring, and, and we were able to do that. But with TV, there's so much more costs involved. Plus, this company have very high production values, it turns out. So what they've made is, is like, visually, it's beautiful. And it just costs money. So I said to them, look, newspapers don't have that much money anymore, if they ever did. And the way they came up with, with fixing that problem was the Australian contributed a small amount of money. Screen Australia, so taxpayer-funded, contributed the bulk of it. And then Foxtel chucked in a bit, and it's going to be broadcast on Foxtel and create New South Wales, so again, taxpayer money. So it's this kind of um, 
I'm not going to say unholy alliance, <laughs> but unlikely alliance yes. between News Corp and a, as a private interest and the, the Screen Australia as a taxpayer, essentially funded body, a public body. It's never happened that these two have come together before like this, but I think they're both quite excited in case because now we can do it again mm. and other people can do it again. Because I, I look at what you've done with the, yeah. the vision here and I'm thinking, gee whiz, it would have been hard to show up to some of the places you went in Bowerville with a camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... Because you even sort of actually, got spotted. Yeah. People were questioning even your audio equipment. This is they? an interesting thing, the difference between the two. So it's very easy as a reporter to actually speak to people in you know potentially uh, difficult or even dangerous or threatening situations because a notepad and a pen's quite... It's quite passive. No one really gets spooked. Stick a radio microphone in their face, they get a little bit more spooked. Turn up with a TV camera and it's hard. I don't think we... No, in fact, I'm certain we couldn't have made Bowerville as a TV thing in the way we did because some of those people would never have spoken on tape. But a radio microphone is just a little bit easier, a little bit less threatening. So Bowerville was what it was because of the way it was made. This is what it is because of the way it's made. The, the, the stuff I've seen so far looks great on screen. Mm -hmm. the, um, I love the aerials. The drone which, shots. I'm guessing was a drone, right? Yeah, they're, it was. How good are they? They've, just, they've used that to great effect. Oh, they're stunning. And you, it's that, that's when you realise how beautiful the Northern Territory is. Mm. When you see it from the ground, it's impressive and it's hypnotic and all of that. But when you see it from the air, oh, it's just magical. It mm. really is. It was, I was so lucky to get to visit that part of the country through doing this and see the things I saw. And and you do get that sense watching the documentary. Yeah, yeah. The, now tell us, so the the six episodes yeah. will be put together as an hour? Uh, comes in, the, I think with advertising, it will come in about an hour and a half. Okay. Because it's going to run on Foxtel, so I think there'll be a couple of commercial breaks. But essentially, so the Australians putting it out as a six-part series. Each of them is about 10, 12 minutes long. Foxteller edited them together, and it will run over an hour and a half, and that will go out the end of September. Hmm. Yeah. Is it an interesting way of reporting when you, you realise you're going to package it up as yeah. a sort of finished product yeah. as opposed to just writing however many words yeah. once or twice a week? Yeah. Or it's, it's a challenge. It's an opportunity and a challenge. The opportunity is... You can tell the story in different ways because you don't have to start at A and run through to Z. You can say, well, in this segment, this episode, we're going to look at the victim. In this episode, we're going to look at um, the trial. In that one, we're going to look at... There's a curveball at the end, which episode six is basically dedicated to this big hanging question. So you've got that approach, which is great. The challenge is you've got six parts, so you have to keep the audience coming back at the end of each episode so each of them has to either finish on a bang or finish on a hook which is just a challenge for when you sit down to script it but i think it works mm. i would say that yeah. i think it works <laughs> <laughs> the um th what you've the the sort of um engagement that you got um readers um via Bowerville, mm. and then now, which I'm sure is probably happening with this mm. one, mm. is that opening up new possibilities for newspapers, and particularly the Australian, in how they can offer, you know, maybe extras, yeah. um, different yeah. products to their readers yeah. to, to keep them coming back? Yeah, 
particularly with this project, I think. This one, Bowerville took us all by surprise. We didn't expect it to be what it became. This one, we sat down at the start and said, okay, let's, let's make this as good as we can. And so I just had a, an email exchange with one of the people on the web team at the Oz because there's a big online presentation as well as just the articles in the newspaper and the TV documentary in the six parts. There's a lot of material online, so extended interviews. There's a long-form magazine-length piece. There's timelines, who's who, um, exhibits from the, the brief of evidence from the trial. You can actually see the exhibits themselves. And I had this exchange of emails with the web team, and they told me they put over 300 hours into developing this between wow. them, which is a lot. Mm. And what they've done is they've actually developed new, if you like, kind of storytelling models for this project which will then be able to roll out into say reporting on the budget reporting on things in the future so there's there's you know the way we've told this story on on a phone is different to how we told it on the app it's different to how we told it on the internet and they've developed software for all of that so they're really excited because it has been a precedent that hopefully we can use again and i'm really pleased with that as well because it's it's you know it's an extra reason to do a project like this because we've learned we can report stories this way. We've broken down some of the barriers, and you know, there's no reason now that other people can't do it better. Mm. I, I'd recommend Bowerville to anybody who hasn't listened to the, the podcast. Um, I brushed up. I heard most of it when it came out, and I had another listen on the weekend. Okay. And it's, and it, it's fascinating because it gives the, it gives the um, – the listener a real insight to you as well, doesn't it? It sort of opens up. Oh, I don't know if it not deliberately, but it well, might. no, no. But I mean, just that sort of it, it just shows a journalist at work how you work yeah. and stuff like that that you don't normally get yeah. necessarily just from the written yeah. word. Well, that's a really good point, and we do do it um, in this series as well. You'll see more of how we go about our job and some of the the ethical dilemmas that we face that never make it into the newspaper. Sure. So, for example, one of them, I mean, I'm going to spoil episode three for you. You <laughs> said you watched the first two, but let me ruin episode sure. three. In episode three, so you've got Zach who's in prison, okay? We were denied access to him. That's not surprising. He's a convicted murderer. Journalists rarely get, if ever, in this country. But while we're filming with his family, and we filmed a lot, Zach calls up unprompted. And his mum, unprompted, puts him on speakerphone so we can hear what he's saying. So at that point, I've got to think on my feet, you know, what do we do? And you, you see me on camera, and basically what I do is I get his consent to record and publish the call, because otherwise we couldn't use anything. But then I decline to ask him any questions. I decline to do an interview. And the reason I did that was I was scared that if I did an interview with Zach and the prison authorities find out because they'll be listening to his calls... They're going to punish him. They can't really punish me as a journalist. They can punish him. And I thought, best not to get him into any trouble. Now, his mum hangs up the phone and she's furious with me, genuinely angry. And she says to me, why didn't you ask him questions? He's never been able to tell his story, tell what happened to him. And he, was, he wanted the opportunity to do that. And I said, but do you understand why? And she did, but she was... She was cross. She thought I'd made the wrong decision. And you see all of that on camera. And, you know, I still struggle with it. Was it the right decision? Is the journalist should I have charged in and, and got the scoop? 
Or should I have held back out of a concern for Zach and also a concern for his mum? Because the most likely punishment, if I had interviewed him, was that they'd take away his phone privileges so he couldn't call his mum anymore. And that, she wouldn't, that would never be explained to her. He'd just stop calling. And that would be really tough on his mum because that's their only connection to her son. So because I didn't want either of them to suffer as a result of what we were doing, I didn't do the interview. But should I? Mm. I think there's a little bit of a tease of that at the start of the yeah, you first get, episode. You, you, well, and you, the, get, you hear you saying, yeah, look, I'll just sit back yeah, and exactly. you have a chat. Because actually, it actually happened twice. So he called okay. twice because we're filming with his family a lot and he calls twice on two different occasions. There's a bit at the start of episode one and you do hear his voice and you do hear his version of events. But then that whole kind of dilemma as to what I do plays out on camera. So you can show the process of making it in, these, in this way of telling a story, in a podcast, in, in, in this series. And I think it's only really honest to do that. You know, we're not perfect. We're, I'm, I'm not the godlike reporter. I'm making this up as I go along often. Hmm. I just hope that I make the right decisions. Well, I'll use that sort of trust you build with the people you mm. speak to as a segue to talk about okay. Bowerville yeah, now. Yeah, sure. Where you've, you've, you've sort of worked hard to... What sounds like you've, you ended up getting the trust of everybody, the... The somebody who's under suspicion for it all, mm. the um, families of the, mm. the deceased, mm. and indeed some of the cops. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, trust is hard won and, and easily lost, but as a reporter, it's really the only thing you've got is people's trust in you to, to do right by them. So just before I came in here, I spoke to Zach's mum and Zach's dad, for no other reason than to let them know what's in the paper tomorrow. Okay. Uh, well, at least, you know, what I've filed for the paper tomorrow. And the only reason to do that is so they don't get any surprises. But it means that, you know, it's just building up that level of trust between reporter and, and person who's being reported on. And Bowerville was a case in point, you know. I was able to, to speak to those people on, a, on the basis of mutual trust including the guy who is you know, suspected potentially of being a, uh, a serial killer. And the funny thing is, when I spoke to him, he called me up. The only reason he called, he said, was he'd listened to the first few episodes of the podcast and he thought we'd done a fair job, which surprised me. Well, the fact that he called me up surprised me, but it shows you that if you do your job right, um, the results can be quite extraordinary. Hmm. That, yeah, that phone call's amazing. I think you hear a bit of it in episode five, and then you have you come back and you did an extra episode on the yeah, whole well, call. Yeah, we, did a, we did a bonus episode, essentially. Yeah, yeah we, we, and the bonus episode is... It's a long is call, it's about 40-odd minutes 45 minutes, 45 minutes, yeah. I mean, in the end, the whole thing with that call that got me was... So we'd been reporting on this suspected serial killing of three children. Um, he'd been found not guilty on two occasions, uh, but there was still the suspicion that he was the guy who committed it. So we, we, we started doing these reports. We ran this podcast out. We'd been knocking on his door day, day after day trying to get hold of him. And then he calls up out of the blue. And the conversation with him was calm and coherent. And he's a smart bloke. And there wasn't a moment when he, you know, he, you know, kind of like just, just said, no, you have to believe I didn't do it. I'm innocent. It was all calm and rigorous and forensic and he was talking about this piece of evidence and that piece of evidence and 
it was just a very strange conversation to have. And at the end of it, what complicates it is, you know, you've been thinking about this guy for X number of weeks or months as being the man who allege, is alleged to have done this thing. But when you hear his voice and he's a living, breathing thing, it's much more complicated. Things become harder to see him in those simple terms. So I don't, I don't imagine that's ever going to happen to me again, but it was, it was a hell of a thing. Tell us about the uh, working with the cops. There was some look like definitely, um, I don't know, what would you call it, poor police investigations very early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that improved as some different people got involved yeah. in the case later on. I think essentially you can look at the Bower of an investigation and break it down into two police investigations, which are essentially independent. So the murders took place. The three kids were all murdered within roughly six months, about 25 years ago. And the police at the time responded, I think they responded poorly and they responded slowly and they didn't realise what they were dealing with. Initially they thought the first victim had just basically wandered off, I think. And then the second kid goes missing and they start taking it seriously. Then a third kid goes missing. Then they find the first body. And at that point, you know, I've spoken to the cops and they said at that point they're thinking there's a serial killer on the loose. But even at that point, they don't get the resources they need to do that investigation. You know, if that was three white kids in North Sydney, I'd, it sounds extraordinary. I wouldn't be surprised if there was 50, 100 police officers working on that. And in Bowerville, they had three guys full-time, and some of the guys would come up and assist on occasion. And that's for a triple killing hmm. with the killer on the loose. And it... That failure to resource that investigation properly, the failure by the you know the senior levels of the police force to take that investigation seriously is unforgivable because you never know what evidence was lost as a result. Mm -hmm. But then years later, the police force reinvestigate it. And at that point, it's a very different story because you get a serious number of serious detectives. For the first time, they're homicide squad guys, so they're specialists. They're sent up from Sydney, they're given proper resourcing and one of them spends the next 20 years on that case. So the guy who's leading the investigation now has been doing that for 20 years. And that level of dedication and just absolute terrifying commitment is, is extraordinary. The thing about that cop is... If you talk to other cops, and eventually with cops, the conversation will come around to, you know, who would you want to investigate your own death? And this bloke's name comes up again and again and again because he is relentless. He will spend 20 years just chasing, chasing a murderer. Mm -hmm. So the two investigations are very different. But the reason, I think, is look, ultimately, arguably, it's institutional racism. Failure to resource the first investigation. Finally, they get it right but maybe then it's too late. Was the idea from the start always to do a, a, a podcast no. around that? No, not at all. Well, well, tell me how I that started, came about. I started reporting on Bowerville as a newspaper reporter, and, you know, all credit to my bosses, they supported me to do the story, but it was, you know, at this point, it's 25 years on, there's been all number of reviews and so forth, it's going nowhere, it's a cold, old case. So, you know, I might get an article in the bottom of page two, which is where we put things typically that are boring but important. 
Look at the bottom of page two in the next newspaper. <laughs> Boring but important. Okay. Um, in fact, the whole of page two. I actually, no, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'd not. No, I'd, I'd, like, I'd, I'd articles on page two today, but it's not yeah. got the prominence that. It, but it's it's up the front. Yeah, it gives you something near the front, which you, you know it's probably not going to exactly, sell. The exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's not. You know, we're not screaming out. Look yeah. at this. And the fact you put it on page two means you think yeah. it's important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, those 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 early reports of mine didn't get an awful lot of traction, and then. One thing happened with the families got the latest in a long line of disappointments from the government where they basically said, look, we're not going to pursue this case any further. And I was working with a photographer who filmed the family's reaction and sent me the video. And I forwarded it on to our online team just because I thought well, maybe they could put it on the website. And the reaction from the people on the, on the website that I worked with to seeing the raw emotion from those families was stunning. Like, people suddenly were saying, what on earth is going on? This is an incredible thing. This is horrific. We should do something about it. Because they could see the, these mothers and aunts and, and uncles crying and in, their, and, and in, you know, furious anger. And that was when I thought, right, if you're going to tell this story properly, you've got to have the families tell it in their own words. And that's when I thought of doing the podcast. And the thing that works with the podcast is you can hear the emotion. So you can hear that catch in the throat where someone's trying not to cry or you can hear them just break down and, and go to water. And that is something you cannot do in a newspaper mm. and it's incredibly powerful. It's, it's things like this that I... This and Zach Grieve and, and lots of other things that appear in the Australian... Mm. It's, it's hard to pigeonhole the paper for me because it's often dismissed by some people as a conservative... Yeah. You know, newspaper, mm. but but it it um, it does a lot of things that don't fit that stereotype. And reporting on indigenous affairs yeah. and, and is something it's been doing for a long time and yeah. continues to do. I think the paper should be justifiably proud on of its commitment to report on indigenous affairs. It's something that has set the Australian apart, and which we continue to do. But the thing with the Oz, it's got a loud voice, and it's not afraid to use it. Sometimes it uses that, you know, in terms of politics. Sometimes we use it in cases like Barrowville. Without the support of the editor-in-chief, Paul Whitaker, who gave Barrowville the platform he did, which was way in excess of what I expected to get, it would never have had the impact that it had. So a lot of the credit goes to Paul Whitaker for devoting the full awful magnitude of the Australian's voice to that reporting at that time. Hmm. What was the longest you were ever on location up at Barrowville? Barrowville, we... I look back at Barrowville and I think, I don't know how we did it. <laughs> we, Eric and I, Eric George was the producer, um, spent four days in Barrowville, in which time we did 17 interviews. Whoa. Because I knew that a lot of the people, I could line those interviews up, so we just went back to back. Had you been there much before those never four been, days? No, that was, that really? was first, 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 first time in Barrowville. Wow. Because as a newspaper, if you're only going to get the bottom of page two, hmm. then why would we devote the resources? You didn't know at that stage yeah. what it might develop. But because I was saying, look, we're going to do a podcast, they said, well, you've got four days, go for it. And we did. Um, so that was the first time there. I mean, since then, I've been back half a dozen times now. And I'd be going back in November for another week. Um, but no, we just did, we, we worked hard and we worked fast on Barrowville. And it, it came good. Yeah. yeah. You develop trust. You've got to get close to the story. Yeah. How do you know if you're getting too close? I mean, 
Is that a problem, or oh, that's an can interesting point. So, do you, is it? A, well, you might lose it, you a bit lose of your objectivity. objectivity. You, yeah, yeah. You start telling this person's story, maybe. Yeah. Instead of telling these stories. No, no. I reckon that's a genuine threat. Um, and I don't know if you'd ever know if you'd done it. I mean, so with the Queen and Zach Greaves, so this documentary series we're doing now. I've had to have a conversation with Zach's mum and Zach's dad. I've had to say, before they watched the documentary, I had to say to them, look, you might not like this. In fact, I'm pretty certain you won't like this because, you know, you're going to think in that documentary, I've said something I shouldn't have said, or you're going to think I haven't said something I should have said. And inevitably, you're going to think my representation of the events is, isn't what you would want me to have done. But I said to them both, all I can say to you is I've done my best. Now, fortunately, both of them called me up and, and they're, they're very, very happy with what the result was, which is good because they put so much trust in us to tell it. But you do have to be able to have those conversations where you say, look, I'm not here to, to just tell the story you want me to tell. I have to stand back because if I don't, I don't have any legitimacy if people see I'm biased, people aren't going to believe what I'm saying. So you have to constantly pull yourself back from getting engaged, involved. Before I let you go, I just want to find a little bit about, you know, Dan Box journalist, yeah. how you got to where you are now. Yeah. But but first on, on Bowerville, I mm. guess, the um, it's been good for your brand in a little way, hasn't it? I mean, you've, you won a few awards uh, off yeah. it. And it's acknowledgement <laughs> of the work you and, I guess, the others that's yeah. put into it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Bowerville was, was really a, a two-man operation, myself and Eric George. And then, like I said, it wouldn't have become the thing it did if the paper didn't get behind it. And at that point, you've got a lot of people are chucking in their work. It's the same with this project. It's, it's a huge number of people have made it what it is today. Um, was Eric on Zachary? No, well, unfortunately, he wasn't. He's based in Melbourne, oh, okay. and while he he came up to do Barrowville, it just didn't work that he he'd be involved in this, which is a shame because I really want to work with him again. What I liked about working with Eric was he knew exactly what he wanted to do almost before we'd started talking about it, and then he just made it work. And I, I rate him really highly. So hopefully, at some point, I will get a chance to work with him again. Where did you find the music for Bowerville? It was composed. Yeah. Oh, this is the amazing thing about television, and this is why it costs so much. As a reporter and as a newspaper reporter, you, you kind of typically you work on your own. You might liaise with a photographer, although that's increasingly rare because a lot of them have been made redundant. And obviously you're working underneath the management of, of senior people, but basically you're on your own. With television, you're working with a producer, with a cameraman, with a an editor with a composer who makes the music and all of the people in this team are throwing all of their energy into making the final result better so at one point I just felt like I was kind of just riding a wave mm. and all of these people were determined to make the result as well as good as they could so the the composer I think she did a brilliant job on this mm. a really really good job yeah and it's that music that gives it the the kind of the atmosphere that it has yeah, it gives us some real gravitas and that doesn't yeah, it's usually. a little bit spooky <laughs> very spooky <laughs> um have you identified what you might do next yet or yeah i am um, i'm give it away if you don't no 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 I'm, I'm more than happy to it's, it's a matter of, of, of pretty wide knowledge okay. um i'll be writing a book next so a book on the barrel murders oh. i've 
been lucky enough to be offered the opportunity to do that. And I've been researching it over the past year on top of what the research we did for the podcast. And I'll probably spend the next six months working on it. Um, it can't come out until the end of the legal process. So the, the, the suspected or serial killer, if you like, the case has now been sent back to court. And it could end up with essentially him being sent back to trial and his not guilty verdicts overturned as possible that could happen so the book can't come out until the end of that process for legal reasons and also because that's you wouldn't have the end of the story so whenever the end of that legal process is the book will come out but it, it can't come out before then will you take some leave from the paper to work on that uh, i'm actually leaving the paper you are I, it kind of uh, um this is this is a hell of a week because i actually fly <laughs> i actually leave the paper on friday and, and fly on saturday Gee. back to the uk uh-huh. and i mean there's no reason for that other than family reasons so my um my wife and i are both well i was born in sydney but grew up in the uk my wife's british um so our kids were living here and our parents were living there and it, you could see the look on my mum's face you know, mm. it, it wasn't easy and we just needed to put the family back together yeah. so I'm moving back to the UK on Saturday and I'll write the book there but I will be bouncing back and forth to Australia quite a bit over the next year, 18 months just for work Yeah, well, that sort of helps me understand why you can push so hard this week I guess there's a sort of an end well, date you push so hard this week because <laughs> I haven't got any choice we've started this thing now and now I have to finish it Yeah, and, uh, yeah but also you're right It's, it's there's an end date Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, gee, going back to the UK, yeah. you, and you'll continue to work as a journalist there. Would you like to? Because yeah. this would be a second book, would it? Uh, it uh, would. Yeah, yeah, it would. The uh, yeah. So the book I'll probably work on f- part time mm-hmm. for however long it takes six months, argument's sake, and hopefully pick up freelance in the other couple of days. And then the you know the plan or the ambition is that when the book's finished, the freelance will become full-time work yeah now you went to uni in the uk i think mm-hmm. and you started at the sunday times yeah on yeah. the business desk right okay uh, oil and gas reporter <laughs> which is which was an education not very sexy for someone starting out but is that because you know it was terrifying first job? <laughs> it was absolutely terrifying um i don't think it was supposed to be that way i think i was i was hired really as kind of a, a an assistant for the for the whole of the business desk and then the reporter who was covering oil and gas which is obviously a massive beat um left to go to another paper and for some reason i was her replacement and i'll, I'll be honest i was in way over my head <laughs> like massively over my head I was, I was dead young first real job in journalism the big businesses you're covering right oh yeah they were <laughs> the biggest like yeah. bp shell um and a little story can influence share prices. Oh, yeah. So I'll, tell you the thing, I'll, I'll tell you the thing that actually actually terrified me was uh-huh. at Christmas when the paper does its kind of review of the year. They wanted all the business writers to give their stock pick for the next year. And I thought, shit, people are going to invest money on the basis uh-huh. of what I said. Because it's the Sunday Times, it is such mm-hmm. a, an establishment paper. I have to get this right. Now, I was lucky because we were basically in the middle of an oil bubble and... If you put money on almost any oil explorer, you were going to make money back. And I picked one that struck me as being pretty reputable, and its shares went up 50%. But that was mostly blind luck. Um, so, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I learned a lot doing that job. Then you moved to Australia? Yep, um, to the Australia. Started on the Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. general news reporter. Uh-huh. And, and by the end, I was there for about three, just under three years. By the end of that, I was starting to do crime. 
and moved back to the UK again, family reasons, uh, where I ended up working for the BBC. Right. Um, doing radio mostly. But you sort of came back here anyway. Yeah, as part look, of that. you know, well, no. What we did there was we moved back to the UK basically the worst possible time. It was literally just after Lehman Brothers went under. So, in the teeth of the global financial crisis, the UK was hit hard. Um, and there weren't a lot of jobs. I remember one meeting at the BBC where uh, they announced one in four job cuts and people were in tears. And I was struggling to make ends meet. I was struggling to get regular work. I just had my first child, so I was the only breadwinner. And um, it just wasn't working. And then the Oz offered me a job and it was a lifeline. Mm. So we came straight back. And it, it's, it's been a wonderful, it's been a genuinely wonderful few years working for the paper. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fantastic stuff. Now, did you spend some time in Leeds? Is that, yeah, is I went that, to university in Leeds. Did you grow up near there at no, all? Was no, that, I grew okay. up in um, uh, Shropshire near the Welsh borders. Okay. But, I just asked you about Leeds because I, I love spending time in the UK. And I, whenever I suggest to someone, what about we go to Leeds? It gets a really bad rap. No, it's is good that city. unfair? No, it's, un, it's unfair. Yeah. It had... It's a, one of the you know, classic northern... So it's not on the tourist stops, is no, it? No, it's a beautiful yeah. city and it's a beautiful countryside. It's in Yorkshire, which is God's own county. Yeah. And it used to be an industrial town, but then it got a ton of, you know, it, it was modernised and cleaned up. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah, really. And where will you live in the UK when you go back, do you think? Uh, do you know yet? Yeah. It's a bit of a tree change for us, this one. Really? Um, I love working on the Oz and I love crime reporting, but... Working for a newspaper, your days hang off that daily deadline, which is the end of the day. So I rarely get home before seven, half seven, and it can run later. My kids go to bed at seven. Hmm. So I don't see a lot of my kids doing this job. Or at least, you know, I don't see as much of them as I'd like. So we're going to actually move to the country, and, and mm-hmm. things will be a bit quieter for a few years. Yeah. We're going to be up back up north, um, sort of between Manchester and Sheffield. Oh, well, my son lives in Manchester. Oh, really? So, yeah, I, I, I know what you say about that pang when there's um, yeah. parents away from the family yeah. or whatever. It's it's, a, it, it can be tough. It's a it? thing. Yeah. It's a thing, and I'm looking forward. I mean, I haven't seen my brothers for years yeah i'm looking forward to getting getting back together fantastic dan look really appreciate you coming in on this uh very hectic week um i'd recommend anybody who hasn't done it already listen to bowerville um six episodes the Mm. podcast and then check out the queen and zach grieve while you're at it take out a subscription to the oz because there's um they're doing lots of good work in it and it helps sort of um fund that stuff it's as simple as that yeah i mean yeah Sad truth is, if you want really good journalism, we're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. Except for the ABC. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, thank you, mate. No, thank you very much.